Hey, welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. I'm your host, Christina. Here we're going to talk about all things OCD. If you've been enjoying this podcast so far, and if you'd like to work together, come check out my monthly membership called Mastering OCD and join a group of other people like yourself. You can go to www.coreresults.com forward slash membership. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash membership. And see you in there. Hi, Dr. Jenks, and welcome to OCD Whisper Podcast. And um, you run the Bay Area OCD and Anxiety Center, and I'm extremely, extremely excited that you are here with me today. Um, one of the things that you know that I know you specifically specialize in is also pediatric OCD, and so I know that people have questions. So I'm super excited to be able to specifically ask you um, things related to that. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here and to do this with you today. Awesome. Um, so the way I typically do it, like everybody already knows, is I, I like to just dive right on in there um, and ask the questions. Okay, go for um, it. So one of the first questions I have is, if you don't mind maybe telling us a little bit about pediatric OCD and how is it different than adult OCD? Like what would be those things that uh, we might see or or not see or not hear or not be familiar with? Yeah, that's a really good question because, you know, it takes, gosh, I think it's average of 12 to 15 years for a person to get an accurate diagnosis and effective treatment. And so it's true for kids as well and kids and teens. Um the average age for a child to develop OCD is between the ages of either 8 and 12, so pretty young, or late teens and early 20s. And the majority of kids and teens who develop OCD, they do not get an, a proper diagnosis for years and years and years. And so, you know, one of the things that comes up time and time again in my work is I see adults who had, to me, very clear signs of OCD when they were little, you know, sometimes going back to three or four. Mm. And they were written off as just being kind of quirky kids. Or, um, you know, a lot of kids have acting out behaviors, like oppositional behaviors or angry or, you know, and, and no one picked up on these behaviors on OCD for until the individual themselves, when they were maybe in their 20s or 30s or maybe 40s, said, hey, I wonder if I might have OCD, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so I think for, for kids, because kids don't generally have the information and insight about OCD, you know, it's up to parents to, and teachers to pick it up. And most of the time, it just doesn't or it gets swept under the carpet. And so I think that's one of the differences between, you know, kids, pediatric OCD and adults is at least adults, you know, Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll Google OCD and, and hopefully find some accurate information. And kids Google too, and teens, of course, Google. But a lot of times they don't have the language. They, most of the time, most kids and teens just think they're crazy. And yeah. that's what I hear all of the time. It is the most common thing that kids tell me is that 
you know, I just thought I was crazy and weird and, and then they keep it a secret. So that's a big factor, you know, with in adults, yes, there can be that shame and that secrecy that does go on, but for kids and teens, they think they're crazy and they don't want anybody to know they're crazy. And so even if they're taken to a therapist and the therapist doesn't ask the right questions, they're not going to get the diagnosis. Yeah. And I think that's really actually true because I definitely, um, I have somebody recently I was actually talking to and uh, they were mentioning that a lot of therapists that they've been seeing and they've, I think, saw up to like 10 different therapists, but that every person was not able to tell them like, yes, this is a city. They're like, well, it could be. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. How would he mean they couldn't tell you? Like, yes, yeah. it's pretty, but I, but I also understand like, yeah, if you're not trained in it, you can be, you can, you can feel unsure. And so you're not going to feel confident to diagnose it. So that definitely yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Well, that actually leads perfectly into the next question I have, which is with that and understanding that that happens, what could be some um, signs, right? What could be some of those things that could alert a parent um, that potentially those could be OCD at play? I mean, I know you mentioned some things like people can have some outbursts or, um, um, you know, maybe look like they're being oppositional, um, mm-hmm. but but that it's not really driven per se by the fact that they're oppositional. It's driven out of that anxiety disorder. So what could be those things that parents can look for? What could be the questions they might ask um, to give them a clue to help them out? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I, I, I get emails all the time, practically every single day, to be honest, with a parent saying, you know, I'm seeing these things, these kind of strange behaviors. My child has changed. They're not themselves anymore. You know, could this be OCD? And I, and I congratulate them with just asking the question. Yeah. Because I think most parents, well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of parents, you know, will think that it'll just go away. So whatever's going on, whatever has changed in their child, they think, oh, it's just a phase right? Oh, it'll just go away. But that's lost time in providing the kid with treatment they need. And so the signs, you know, there's so much variety in signs. It's a little hard to say, like, here are the 10 signs, but I'll tell you like what I typically see. So I I would recommend to parents to just look for changes. So Mm -hmm. any sort of changes, maybe if there's subtle changes or more drastic changes, but what are you noticing that's changed? So there could be some new avoidance. So maybe your child who loves spaghetti before, now all of a sudden unexpectedly won't eat spaghetti. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that could be a normal kid thing. Like, I don't know, but... Is it, has it be, has it, is it generalized? And what I mean by generalized is like, now it's spaghetti. Now it's candy. Like, that's weird. They used to love candy. Now they won't even touch candy, you know, and now they won't eat any bread. Like, so it's these things that kind of start spreading and it almost has like tentacles. It's this one thing. Now it's this thing. Now it's this thing. So avoidance or avoiding, you know, um, avoiding walking to the kitchen anymore or avoid not wanting to go play with friends anymore or not wanting to get in the car. So big time, any avoidance, 
And then also repetitiveness. So anything that's repetitive. So questions are a big one for kids, right? Because parents usually have the answers to questions and it's normal for us, for kids to ask questions to their parents. And so, but it's questions that repeat themselves. And you think, I, I just told her that. Why is she now asking me again and again? And she never seems satisfied. And these questions just keep going and going. And so that's a sign, right? Like I have a kid right now that has obsessions around getting appendicitis. And so he will ask, well, before I worked with them, he would ask endless questions about appendicitis. And next thing you know, mom and kid are Googling appendicitis, right? <laughs> so um, another thing could be mood. So looking for changes in mood, do they now seem kind of sad and withdrawn? Are they not as interested in things that they you know, used to be interested in? And are they doing kind of strange behaviors? Like, are they now tapping on things or knocking on things or washing their hands repeatedly or having to make something just right. So it kind of, there's a lot that it could, that you could notice. Um, and of course, anxiety, I didn't include that in my list, but yeah. So of course, fear and anxiety um, that doesn't make sense to parents. Like why would my child, you know, not want to go swimming all of a sudden where they were fine swimming before. And then you ask them and they might say, oh, well, what if there's a shark in the water? Like, where did that come from? <laughs> you know? And as you're talking, the other thing that comes to mind too is like maybe even a little bit of rigidity around things. Um, yeah. like I've seen right now I'm working with where definitely one of the things that was starting to stand out was that, that there's suddenly less and less flexibility. Like things had yeah. to be a certain way. And, and if it wasn't, or if somebody did something or just was being themselves the way they normally would be right that the the child would suddenly have an outburst um and would yep. start to you know get really angry or um yell or use swear words or yes. something would happen they're like whoa what's going on and so now the whole family is kind of being on eggshells yeah accommodate and go oh okay we don't want to set you off oh my gosh and nobody's understanding what's happening yeah um, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, the flexibility and the rigidity are major red flags, right? Um, you know, I one of the things I do right up front is talk about how parents are accommodating their children's anxiety. And I do a lot of education and discussion about family accommodation, which is, you know, basically um, doing things to try to... Um, help your child feel less anxious in the moment. So it's basically trying to protect your child and soothe your child. And it can happen passively. So like passively would be like, you just no longer, they no longer want their friends invited over. And so you don't ask anymore, or it can be more um, active. So maybe you guys stop watching a TV show. Or they, you know, you won't, you stop saying the word zombie or like, because they're afraid of zombies, you know, like, so, so it's just any way whatsoever, you try to bubble wrap your child and it works in the short run. Your child does feel better in the short run, but in the long run, it feeds fear and OCD and anxiety. Yeah. Exactly. And then they get really reliant on you as their kind of reassurance figure or, or that supplies, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I love the bubble wrap. <laughs> that's, that just gave me such a little visual. Like, yeah, we try to bubble wrap our kids, right? Cause they're kids. Like we want to protect them. It's natural. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I tell parents is that this is an instinct. 
you know, all mammals do it. All mammals try to bubble wrap their babies in different ways, right? You can see this in elephants. You can see this in any animal, dogs. And, and so it's, it's just what mammals do. We instinctually care and protect our young. And then, but if you have a child who's born with a genetic vulnerability to OCD and kind of comes out of the womb more anxious, then your kind of instinct is going to go into overdrive. Yeah. It backfires, unfortunately, for anxious kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great point. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Um, Okay. Well, then that leads to my... Uh, third question and my last question, which is, you know, with all of this kind of information, you know, what could be one thing um, that a parent can do to help their child? So if they're saying, okay, like they're listening right now and they're going, okay, so I'm going to pay attention to repetitive behaviors. I'm going to look at any kind of changes in routines or avoidances or kind of stuff that's starting to kind of, you know, jump out at me that, that, that shifted um, and feel strange. Um, or those repetitive questions. And now I'm seeing, okay, and I think it might be, what could be something like just one thing? Let's say, I know it's always hard to answer a question like that, but what could be one thing that they could potentially do? What could be one tip that they could try? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. And, you know, I recently did a training called um, SPACE. And in the SPACE training, it's actually a treatment just for parents. And so we work with the parent to treat their child. So basically the parent is treating the child. So, you know, one of the first steps in space is helping the parents really understand the accommodation cycle, because we have research that says that the more parents accommodate, the worse a child's OCD and anxiety will get. And so I think working with families, um, going for accommodation right away up front is number one thing. And so just one thing you can do is read about accommodation. Um, even if you, you can literally Google a list of all various ways that parents accommodate. It's called the family accommodation scale, FAS. And just Google that. It'll come up with a list, read it with your parent or your partner, and then t- take the questionnaire yourselves And then do a log. So literally every day, just write time, date, what did I do to accommodate? Mm -hmm. And then start with that. And then either on your own, if you're, if you decided to, that you're going to kind of do this on your own or with a therapist, an OCD specialist, Mm -hmm. work on one by one by one, reducing your accommodation. Yeah. And yeah. And that takes, you know, some families can do that on their own through kind of watching videos. Like I really recommend Natasha Daniels videos on that. Um, and on my own YouTube channel, I have videos about accommodation and how to go about that. Um, so that's my one piece of advice. Work on accommodation first. That's, I think, a really great uh, starting point. Yeah, beautiful. Wow, you named a bunch of different resources. So this leads to my my ending, which is how can people find you? And um, what are those different resources um, that they can look up? And of course, I'll include everything in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, so people can find me in a couple different ways. Um, I have a Facebook page for my practice. So if you just look up Bay Area OCD and Anxiety, I'm also on Instagram Bay, at, at Bay Area OCD and Anxiety. And um, YouTube channel, you can also just look me up that way. That's brand new. So I'm still working on that. But 
Um, there's lots of kind of virtual, you know, video videos that you can go through no matter what your level of knowledge and experience or, or if you're an adult, a teen, kid, parent, there's videos there to guide you. Um, and, um, you know, I'm also, I'm in private practice. So I actually now live in Boise, Idaho, um, but my practice is in the San Francisco Bay area. So I only treat people, um, in California and you can find me through my website, Bay area, OCD and anxiety. Beautiful. And if I can go back for one second, what's the name of your YouTube channel? Um, my YouTube channel is Bay area, OCD and anxiety center. Beautiful. Okay. Very easy. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to OCD Whisper Podcast. If you want ongoing support with live weekly Q&A calls to address your questions about OCD and get topic trainings, please join my membership, Mastering OCD. Go to www.coreresults.com forward slash membership. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash membership.